6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Isaiah with a session titled, The Physics of Immortality. I just, I get, I get a kick out of this. It gives you another insight. Uh, here these guys are walking. He joins them. They don't recognize who he is. And he says, hey guys, why are you so blue? What's bothering you? You know, as if, you know, what's up? You know, they turn in and say, where have you been, fella? You know, in effect. And he says, what things? Now here's a guy a few days ago was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, put through six mock trials, then beat up rather badly, crucified dead, buried, risen from the dead, and he can look them in the eye and say, what things? <laughs> <laughs> and they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and would have crucified, uh, crucified him. But we were hoping that it had been he who, uh, who should have redeemed Israel. And besides all, this is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also in our company amazed us, who were at the, early at the sepulcher, and they found not his body. And they came saying that they uh, had also seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were, were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as they had said. But him they saw not. And then Jesus picks it up and says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Interesting phrase. You know, if you and I were doing the shooting script of the scene, we'd have maybe a flash of lightning, uh, some kind of some kind of wild, hey guys, it's me, you know. He doesn't do that. He speaks of himself in the third person. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? He's speaking. They're that guy, he's saying. But he says something else here. Oh, foolish one, slow of heart um, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All. You know, the interesting thing about the book of Genesis is not the creation and all that. A lot of people get hung up on that. That's great, fine. The interesting thing in the book of Genesis is that Jesus Christ is on every page. The scripture says, he says, the volume of the book is written of me. Every detail in the Torah, every detail in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is, speaks of the person of Jesus Christ. There's probably not a technical detail in there that you can disconnect from the person of Jesus Christ. What a challenge. I'll leave that with you. Because then Jesus, anyway, verse 27, he says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Don't ever be self-conscious about being interested in Bible prophecy. The first thing, first uh, lesson that Jesus gives after his resurrection is an Old Testament Bible study of prophecy. Interesting. And they drew near unto the village to which they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat eating with them, that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. That's pretty weird, actually. Breaking the bread was the normal task of the host. He's a guest. He was going to go on the talk to Miss Dang for dinner. He does. Who's breaking the bread? He is. That's out of step, if we will, etiquette-wise. But something else happens. It's kind of interesting in verse 31. He broke the bread, gave it to them. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened that they recognized him, and then he vanished out of their sight. We don't know what it was that caused them suddenly to recognize that which they did not recognize for a seven-mile Bible study. But the conjecture by most commentators is they saw his nail prints when he broke the bread. And that flat, it's him. It's him. But again, the undercurrent here that bothers me a little bit is that um, there's something wrong. Why didn't they recognize him for seven miles? They were at the cross. They saw him crucified. That's what they're blue about. No, he disappears there because he's got a date in Jerusalem that night. In fact, Cleopas is with him. You can't tell from this account, but, it's the, but he apparently was with the group. But anyway, you know, picking up you know, from verse 33. Oh, one other thing is kind of neat. Verse 32. After he disappears, they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us along the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Well, that's the kind of heartburn we all want, isn't it? Then they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he hath appeared uh, to Simon. And uh, they told those things which uh, were done along the way and how he, he was uh, known to them in the breaking of the bread. See, again, you see, he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's why we tend to conjecture. It's a, a speculation on our part. We believe it was the nail prints that tipped them off, made them realize what was going on here. Verse 36. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And then verse 37 bothers me. And they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. For them to be shocked and surprised, I guess, is our, certainly because he's back from the dead, understandably. Why are they terrified? Why are they frightened? They might be startled. Why are they frightened? Something, something's going on here. We'll come to it in a minute. Then he said to them, Why are ye troubled, and why do, do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Interesting. What's his identity? His wounds. That's how they know it's him. Somebody said they're the only man-made things in heaven. Our scars. The only man-made things in heaven are his scars. When he thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they yet believed not for while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? My kind of guy. I like that. <laughs> well, as you know, he told them to tarry in Galilee, and he eventually rejoined them. So, indeed, uh, the next place I'd like to just take a peek at uh, is uh, John 21. Everything we've talked about so far is down in Jerusalem, down in Judea. But now we're going to shift up north to the Sea of Galilee. In accordance with his instruction, they went up there to tarry. He told them that he would join them. 
and they're waiting around. And as you, what you do when you're waiting around and a little frustrated, you generally retreat to some skill or some interest you have in which you can feel comfortable. And so these guys, uh, four of them, were in partnership in a fishing business. So what are they going to do? They're going to go fishing. Makes sense, huh? Verse 3, Simon Peter said, and I go fishing. Said unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a boat immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now this doesn't surprise me. It's misty morning. It's way on shore. They're at sea, so there's somebody standing. They don't recognize him. Okay, I can buy that. Verse 5, it says, Jesus said unto them, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. You know, hey, you guys, you catch anything? No. All night long, nothing. They caught nothing. Verse 6, he says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and ye shall find. And they cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. I'm always amused by this. It's like the fish can know, you know? I'm, I, I remember when I was down at Newport Pier, we used to watch early morning, uh, when somebody catches a fish on one side of the pier, everybody moves to that side of the pier, you know? <laughs> Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, it was the Lord. He girt his fish's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. He wasn't fully naked, he was down in work clothes. But anyway, the point is, John recognizes who it is, because he remembered earlier in the ministry that's exactly what happened. He didn't catch anything, changed the sides, they caught. John recognizes this is a symptom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, of course, you all know Peter. Ready, fire, aim, Peter. Into the water, on his way in. Now, when he gets there, it's kind of interesting. Verse 9. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. How many of you had a biblical breakfast this morning? Did you have fish this morning? For breakfast? Oh, we have a couple. Okay. Did you know the only breakfast in the Bible I can remember reading is one that has fish for breakfast. So if you're in Israel, of course, you get used to the buffet breakfast where they have fish all the time. It's sometimes... For some of us, it takes them getting used to it. But that's biblical. When they get to shore, Jesus has cooked breakfast. He's baked bread, and he's got fish there. Right? In verse 12, and this is the verse that bothers me. In verse 12, Jesus says, come and dine. Okay, he's inviting them to breakfast. Then we have a sentence that's a rather strange sentence. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who art thou? Knowing it was the Lord. What on earth does that mean? When I meet John, that's my first question. What is that all about? What does that sentence say? And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who art thou, knowing it was him? Come on, guys. This is like one of those sentences, the only analogy I can think of is you're driving to a social engagement with your wife about an hour away from your home. You're halfway there, during about half an hour. You turn to your wife and say, Did you remember to turn off the stove? If she says, I remembered, it's turned off, you keep going, right? But suppose she says, I'm sure I did. What do you do? What do you do with that piece of information? Right? This, this is one of those sentences. None of the disciples dared ask him, who art thou, knowing it was the Lord? At this point... I want to just explore this conjecturally a little bit. 
One of the main themes, one of the great discoveries in my life, of course, is that these 66 books that we call, glibly call the Bible, 66 books penned by 40 authors over thousands of years, yet we now discover are an integrated message system. Every number, every place name, every detail is there by design. I don't mean just that there's a theme in the old, fulfill the new. No, it's far deeper than that. Every number, every place name, every detail is there by design. It's one of the main themes of our ministry to get that across. You see, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. One book, integration. Well, if that's true, it shouldn't surprise us to discover that there are physical descriptions of things in the New Testament that are only in the Old. In other words, in the New Testament period, there's some details that you'll find only in the Old Testament. And it's a startling. You'll only find a descript physical description of the Antichrist in the Old Testament, not the New. But also of Jesus Christ, there's a, a, a number of passages in the Old Testament that detail, that just detail the period about which you're talking. One of the ones that you have to be aware of is Psalm 22. We won't take the time to go into detail, but I do encourage you to take Psalm 22 and read it, but recognize that it reads as if it was written first-person singular by Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. His first and last words are in effect here. The psalm opens with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The first thing Jesus said from the cross, which if nothing else should point us, point us to this particular passage. It goes on to describe how uh, he's surrounded by uh, his enemies and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. And they pierced my hands and my feet. He said, verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. And on he goes. Verse 16 is interesting. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's a strange thing to have recorded eight centuries before crucifixion was invented. The form of, the form of capital punishment in Israel was stoning. But here it describes what in effect it turns out later to be crucifixion. I may count all my bones. They stare at me. Verse 18, they part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. And on it goes. Now, and of course, it closes with, he hath done this. It is finished. It is done. Paid in full. To Telestai in the Greek. But here it's in Hebrew. Interesting passage. Psalm 22. I encourage you to read it carefully, meditatively at your leisure. This is one of a couple passages. The other passage I want to remind you of, I'm sure you've read it, is Isaiah 53. Book of Isaiah, chapter 53, well-known passage. It's sometimes called the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament. What most people may not realize is the chapter break is about three verses late. The passage actually begins, this particular passage begins three verses earlier, chapter 52, verse 13. If you're going to read Isaiah 53, you really should start a few verses earlier. And uh, that's always a good rule, by the way. The chapter breaks in your Bible are man's conveniences. And they often are a verse too late or too early. So I strongly urge you, whenever you're studying a chapter seriously, to read a few verses before and after to make sure that the chapter break isn't influencing your perspective excessively. It's just a convenient index. 
But in chapter 52, verse 13, it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. What do you mean by very high? Well, that's what he explains in John 3 when he says to Nicodemus, As Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be raised up. He's talking about the crucifixion. Verse 14 is a verse that the King James translators didn't feel you could handle. And so they paraphrased it slightly. And the way it should read, more literally in the Hebrew, is, So marred from the form of man was his aspect, that his appearance was not that of the son of a man, that is not human. See, one of the things we don't really appreciate is the degree of brutalization that he endured at the hands of the Roman soldiers. We hear about the lashings on the back. You always hear the 39, the 39 rule is a Jewish rule, not a Roman rule. They really beat him up badly. Uh, so bad, he was so brutalized, such a bloody mass that he didn't even look human. He was beat up that badly. That's what that verse implies. Then it goes on, and in chapter 53, you'll have an explanation of his crucifixions, probably more succinct and more specific than all of Paul's epistles put together. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now here's the key verses. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and was with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And it goes on. Now the question is, he was beat up pretty badly. There is a detail in the Old Testament that isn't in the New. And so this will have meaning to you only to the extent that you recognize the Old Testament prophecies being literally fulfilled. Because I'd like you to turn to chapter 50, verse 6. Turn left one page or so. Chapter 50 in Isaiah includes a detail that I have not encountered in the commentaries. Verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. This seems to imply, at least with prophetic vision, that those abusive soldiers ripped off his beard. This is vivid to me because I can recall once when I was the head of the project that had a software team, the head of the software department, 
happened to be a guy that wore a very big, full black beard. I worked with him for the better part of a year, when one day coming to work, for some various reasons, he had it shaved off. He came barefaced to work without the usual full beard. And I passed him in the hall, and I almost passed him thinking he was a stranger. Fortunately, some other employees said, hey, Joe, and started a conversation. I picked up. My goodness, that's, that's the guy I've been elbow with for the better part of a year. I remember the startling thing. Just his beard being shaved off, how different that made him look from what I was used to. We're not talking scars. We're not talking abuse. We're just trying to you know, shave off his beard. I remember that so vividly. Here, though, you're talking about something else. One of the things that I suspect, is that the reason that they didn't recognize him? See, does he in his resurrection, in his resurrection body, does he still have the nail prints in his hands? Does he have the wound in his side? The question I ponder is I wonder what his face looks like. I wonder if it's disfigured from the beatings. I wonder if there's scar tissue where there was a beard at one time. I wonder if that's the reason Mary didn't realize who it was. I wonder if that's the reason Mary thought, this is the gardener. I wonder if that's why the Emmaus Road disciples didn't recognize until they noticed his nail prints and realized, that's him. I wonder if that's one of the things that bothered the disciples in the upper room. Not just that Jesus was there, but to realize, it took them a while to realize what's going on. I wonder if that's what it means in John 21, 12. None of us dared ask him because we knew it was him. Now the question that we sort of wonder, <laughs> how long does he have those nail prints? Well, John himself is transported several thousand years ahead in time in the book of Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5 and get another glimpse of all of this. Revelation chapter 5, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written within and on the backside and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Verse 3 says, And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, is able to open the scroll or to, and neither to look upon it. And John, in verse 4, reveals he understood what's going on. You and I might not quite understand. He did. Because he says, I sobbed convulsively because no man was found worthy to open the, and to read the scroll, neither to look upon it. You really won't understand this chapter unless you've done a careful study of the book of Ruth. You need to understand we're talking redemption of the planet Earth. This is the title lead to the earth in effect. But in any case, verse 5. One of the elders said, I mean, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. It had to be a kinsman of Adam. See, it said no man was found worthy. It had to be a kinsman of Adam. No man was found worthy to open the scroll. No, no, wait, wait, there's one. Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Who's that? Those are titles. Those aren't graphic images. Those are titles. The lion of the tribe of Judah is none other than the Messiah, the Mashiach, Nagid. The root of David hath prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then, then he says, verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood the Lamb as it had been slain. Oh, I have the fear, or the, the suspicion, I won't sell this too hard, but I personally suspect that when I see Jesus Christ, he will still have the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side. 
I'm reminded of an incident that I was told about in which there was a woman who had a small child, a little baby girl. Um, when the little girl went to school, the kids teased her because her mother was, unfortunately, had disfigurement in her face. She was very severely disfigured. And you know how cruel kids can be when they're in school. And these kids teased her, the, the little girl, about her mother. When the girl became old enough, the mother shared with her what had happened. This is when we, we lived in an apartment, there was a very severe fire, and I was able to save you as a young baby, but I endured these burns in that errand, getting you out of that fire. You know, from that day on, the little girl was no longer embarrassed about her mother. Every time she looked in her face, she realized that every one of those marks was a testimony of how much she was loved. I personally believe that you and I will spend our eternity trying to understand what it cost him that we might live. I really don't believe that his, the real price that he paid was physical. I think there's far more going, I don't believe that your sins and mine could be paid for by three hours on a cross. There's an eternity involved. Eternal separation from God in some sense. So I can't dissect the theology of this, but I do expect to see him with his nail prints. I do expect to see him with a wound in his side, and I worry that just maybe he still may be subject to scar tissue where his face once was. And I suspect we too, when we look upon him, will get a glimpse maybe of what it cost him that you and I might live. He was born of a woman so that you and I might be born again. He humbled himself so that we could be lifted up. He became a servant so that we could be made joint heirs with him. He suffered rejection so that we could become his friends. He denied himself so that, he could free, so that we could freely receive all things. And he gave himself so that we might be blessed in every way. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his resurrection body. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android App Store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.